came across an interesting story this week. How many of y'all have heard of a guy named John Wesley? John Wesley. Um, John and his brother Charles were ministers, but John, he was a, a priest in the Anglican church for a couple of years, uh, and then he got saved. Uh, so he'd been a priest for a couple of years, and then he got saved. And some of the, the things he felt the Lord impressing on him he needed to do something else than be the priest of an Anglican church. And so he left and kind of started these groups all over England to try to help Christians in their Christian life be more dedicated to Christ, spend more time reading scripture, spend more time sharing the gospel. And so he, he developed this, this concept and had this idea of these are like methods of how to live the Christian life. And uh, it established a denomination called Methodists uh, from the, the, these groups that he established. Well, there was one time John Wesley was out preaching in this area early in the day, and this woman came up to him and said, Pastor, Pastor John, if you were to die tomorrow night at midnight, what would you do between now and then? Would your schedule change at all? And he looked right back at her and said, no, absolutely not. I would do everything I was already going to do. I'd preach at that place I'm going tonight. I'd wake up in the morning. He, and, uh, in response to this question, he had a place he was scheduled to preach at 5 a.m. the next morning. Uh, he said, I'm going to preach tonight at this place. I'm going to go at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning and preach at this place. There's a place tomorrow afternoon. I've already scheduled to preach. I'm going to preach there. Uh, tomorrow night, there's another place I'm going to preach, and then I'm going to grow and, and address this, these, these uh, uh, societal people, these societies that I'm going to preach at. And then tomorrow night, I'm having dinner with this family. I'm have dinner with them, pray with them, and then go back to my house, fall asleep. And if it's midnight, when I die, then I'm going to wake up in glory. He said, I'm just going to do what I've already got on my schedule. You know, sometimes we can ask the question, how can I live a faithful life? Well, a faithful life is chosen. It's really a series of intentional decisions that we're going to make. And I told that story about John Wesley to illustrate the idea of he had made a decision in his life that if he was to die the next day, he was already going to do what he had scheduled because he had already decided to live faithfully. Even if it was a disruption, even if it was difficult, he was already going to do it. So knowing he only had 24 hours to live, everything would be the same because he already made the decision ahead of time to be faithful. Because a faithful life doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by default. And so you can ask yourself, if tomorrow is your last day, would your schedule change at all? Could you say, no, my schedule would be absolutely the same. Absolutely the same. Would it really? Your Sunday afternoon would look the same. Your Sunday night would look the same. Your Monday morning at your job would look the same. Would everything be identical to what it is now? Or would you make an intentional adjustment to what you would do between now and then? See, that's what we're going to look at today is then, okay, how can I get this mindset of living faithfully? How can I, in my life today, in 2022, how can I live faithfully? Well, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you're using a Bible on the rack in front of you, it's on page 1008. 1008. And if you do not have a Bible, take that one home. We have others we can replace it with. Don't worry about that. You can have that Bible. We're in Hebrews 
chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 23. The author writes, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They saw the child was beautiful. Now, every parent thinks their child is beautiful, uh, over and above all the others, and it's not necessarily that Moses' parents thought, well, here's a beautiful child, we're going to hide him, all those other ugly babies, they can, Pharaoh can have them, but this one is, is better looking than all of them. I mean, really the idea is they knew from the impression of the Lord there was something special here, that God had a plan for this baby. So they hid Moses. By faith, it says. By faith, they hid Moses for three months because they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, the king's edict was every baby boy would be killed. The king had basically deputized the entire Egyptian population. If you see a baby Hebrew boy, he said anybody who is a citizen of Egypt could grab that baby boy and throw it into the Nile River with no repercussions. You had absolute authority to do that. And so if they're hiding this baby boy, that would come on their heads, and they would be executed as well. And so it says they were not afraid of the king's edict. Rather, they had faith in the Lord's protection, in the Lord's provision. You see, these parents, they, they value God's priorities more than the cultural values. Culture said, you kill those babies. And these parents said, no, sir, we are not. Because our faith directs us in a different way. It endangered their own reputation. It endangered their own lives. But they did not care because what mattered most was their faith in the Lord. Their, their lives, they didn't necessarily think they were forfeit. But what they valued most was faith in God. Faith in God's plan. Faith in God's direction. And so they were going to follow that faith wherever it took them. And we see illustrated there that the, faith, that the opposite of faith is not doubt. Some people think the opposite of having faith is doubt. The opposite of faith is not having doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Faith can direct your footsteps. Fear can direct your footsteps. Now, doubt can be a symptom of fear. Uh, a doubt can come along afterwards. But at the base root of it, the opposite of faith is fear. And so what this verse tells us is these parents were not fearful of losing their lives. They had faith. You know, you cannot be faithful and fearful at the same time. Because faith trusts God and fear does not. Fear denies God's ability. It denies God's omniscience, that he knows everything. Fear also denies that God is all-powerful. Faith and fear are really like light and darkness. Because fear is the absence of faith. Just like darkness is the absence of light. And so if there's an area in your life where it is dominated by fear, it's because faith is absent in that area of your life. That doesn't mean you have absolute faith in every area of your life. I mean, we are constantly reminded of that father who came to Jesus and who said, I have faith, help me in my faithlessness. 
I believe. Help me in my unbelief. He said, I have faith in some areas, but there's others that I don't. So I really need help here. Because he wanted to follow Jesus. But fear can overpower faith if we allow it. Fear is the absence of faith. Light and darkness cannot coexist, and faith and fear cannot coexist. And we see illustrated in this verse verse that uh, um, the faith of these parents was demonstrated in their actions. They didn't just say they had faith. They lived it out. And actions can actually do the same thing for fear. That when fear dominates our hearts, it comes out in our actions. Actions reveal a faithful heart or a fearful heart. One or the other, it's going to come out in how we act, in how we respond to a situation. Whether we have faith or fear, it's going to be demonstrated in how we act. We can come in on Sunday morning and say all day long, I've got absolute faith in Jesus. And then we walk out on Monday morning and we are riddled with fear and anxiety about what's about to drop on our heads. That doesn't mean it's not a struggle. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy because Jesus tells us that it's absolutely not. In John 16, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to be hard. It's going to be problematic. But that also doesn't mean you have to abandon faith even when it's hard, even when there's a problem. Rather, you lean into faith. And your actions will then reveal whether you have faith or fear. And we see in Hebrews eleven twenty three, 23, Moses' parents had faith. Look at verse 24. So by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what's going on here, and that's totally fine, you know, some... Uh, if you haven't read the book of Exodus or had somebody, you know, tell you about it, you don't know it till you know it. What's going on here is Moses, uh, as a baby, was his parents would hide him until he they couldn't hide him in their house anymore, and so they built this basket and they waterproofed it and they put it down in the Nile, and Moses' sister would watch the basket to make sure everything was okay. Well, Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh who issued the order to kill all the Hebrew babies, Pharaoh's daughter came down to the Nile River to take a bath, and they had placed Moses' waterproof basket, just happened to be, there's no happenstance with God, but they placed it in the place where Pharaoh's daughter came down to take a bath. She noticed the basket, she saw the Hebrew baby, and she knew her father's order to kill the Hebrew babies. But there was something special about this baby. So she said in her mind, to protect this baby. I want to adopt this child. So Pharaoh, or Moses' sister ran up and said, hey, you want me to get you a nurse to help you with this baby? And Pharaoh's daughter said, absolutely. So the sister went home, grabbed Moses' mother, and Moses' mother came in and was allowed, under the protection of Pharaoh's daughter, to raise her own son. Probably paid for it, as all moms should be, Right? And she went home and she raised Moses to the age that uh, he wasn't uh, dependent upon a mother or a nurse and he could uh, eat on his own and he could go to the bathroom on his own. And then she took him to the palace and Moses was raised in the palace. Until he was 40 years old, he lived in the palace. The palace of the Pharaoh of Egypt 
the most powerful nation on the planet at the time. Lots of money. Lots of, of uh, everything he needed was right before him. Everything was taken care of. A servant would do this, a servant would do that. He had anything he wanted. And what we read there in that scripture was, it came a point when he was grown up, when he was 40 years old, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter anymore. And so what this is telling us is that Moses knew that he was a Hebrew. Moses wasn't raised, you know, under the impression that uh, uh, he was biologically a descendant of Pharaoh. He was raised knowing the whole time that he was a Hebrew. But he was under the protection of the king's daughter. But there came a point that he said, I no longer want this. God has something else for me. God doesn't have this, this life of ease for me. And he chose to go with God's plan and be with God's people. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting uh, pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So he chose to leave the palace, to leave the money, to to leave security, and go and be with the slaves. And have everything be hard for him. How many of us, don't raise your hand, would honestly make that decision? Under the protection of the palace, any food you wanted, anything you wanted, you didn't even have to look at the Walmart pickup order. You just tell the soldier servant to go get it for you, and they got it for you. They had your food ready whenever you wanted to eat it, your favorite food, every meal, favorite dessert, every meal. Moses says, no more. God's got something else for me. He chose to leave comfort and walk into difficulty on purpose. How many of us choose that? If it's put before us, here's a life where it's easy, here's a life where it's going to be hard. And for Moses, the next 80 years are going to be the worst you've ever experienced. Moses said, okay, I'm going that way because that's where God is. I would rather be where it's hard and God is than where it's easy and God's not. And so Moses chose to go that way. But look at what it says in that verse. It's interesting. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now, obviously, Moses came way before Jesus. But what this is saying is he chose God's plan of deliverance over anything else that would have been easy. He chose difficulty. He chose to follow God rather than continue to stay where God told him to leave. His decision came from a separate value system than the rest of the world. And that's the same today. The world says, get as much as you can, as fast as you can, and hold on to it with all you can. It's yours. Keep it. And if we're being honest, that's the American dream. Make as much money, get the biggest house, the nicest car, get everything you can. And tell everybody how great you are. That's what social media is for. Post your new shoes and your new car and your new everything. How how good your food is. And Moses said, no, I'm not going to do that. 
God's got a better plan for my life. Moses didn't do everything right. Obviously, he killed a guy, and he went and hid from God for 40 years. But God didn't leave him alone. You see, Moses' decisions, even though they were horrible and wrong and sinful, did not disqualify him from service to God. God still used him. Moses wasn't, if God was done with Moses, Moses would have been dead. But he wasn't. So Moses still had a job to do. And so God allowed Moses to go out and spend 40 years in fear and hiding. And then when God finally showed up and says, all right, now it's time to go back and walk right into Pharaoh's palace. Pharaoh's palace that you left. Scholars tell, tell us that most likely the guy who was Pharaoh when Moses went back into Egypt was the guy who was raised as Moses' brother. And so he would have to walk into that throne room with a guy he grew up with and played with as a child and demand that he let his people go. And Moses gave every excuse, absolutely not, I am not doing that, no. You can send somebody, I don't, I don't talk good, God, I don't do good, I don't go good, I don't say good, I don't look good. God, send somebody else. God said, no, even though I agree with all of that, I'm going to send you. You just got to do what I say. And at the end of the day, Moses did. And so even though Moses sinned massively, even though Moses ran from God for 40 years, and even though Moses tried to argue out of being used by God, God still used him. God still used him in a powerful, powerful way to do phenomenal things by faith, as it says there in Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, he considered the reproach of Christ, the plan of God for deliverance. But what's interesting is I want to point this out. Uh, he, he, he left all that behind, all the money, all the palace, because it says there at the very end of verse 26, he was looking to the reward. Now, I learned something this week. That word, he was looking to the re reward, it, it, this may be my new favorite Greek word. Uh, it means to look away from one thing in order to look at something else. And so when it says he's looking toward the reward, it means he's looking away from everything else except God's plan. He's looking away from all of it and looking to where God wants him to look, looking at something specific, God's plan. So he looked away from all the potential possibilities that staying in Egypt would have meant, and he looked only to God's plan. He put all of his attention on the Lord, and that guided him. You see, because faithful actions come from faithful attention. Faithful actions come from faithful attention. If our attention isn't on the Lord and the things of faith, we're not going to make faithful decisions. We're not going to stumble into faithfulness. It has to be on purpose. It has to be intentional. We have to make the decision to do it. A faithful life is chosen. It doesn't happen by accident. Sometimes we choose not to look at something or focus on something or buy something or watch something or spend time with something because something else proves itself to be of greater value. And so in that moment, we have to choose, will I be faithful? Will I be faithful with what I choose to look at? Will I be faithful with what I choose to focus on? Will I be faithful in where I place my money? Will I be faithful in what I watch and what I invest my time in? Will I be faithful with the life I have been given? 
Because your life moves in the direction of your attention. Your life moves toward your attention. Have you ever noticed somebody, if you're sitting in the car with somebody driving down the road, maybe a new driver, and you tell them, make sure you look at that middle line and and stay on this side of it, they're going to veer towards that line every time. Because that's where their attention is. You're looking at the line, you're going to get closer to the line because that's where you're looking. You're going to go where you're looking. Your life is going to move toward your attention. If your attention is on Jesus, that's where your life's going to move. If your attention is on something you're binging that maybe you ought not to be binging when you're alone in your room, those thoughts are going to ramble around in your head and that's where your life's going to move. Maybe chaotic, maybe uncertain, but that will be what dominates your mind. Your life moves in the direction of your attention. If your attention's on the Lord, then your life's going to move in that direction every single time. That, again, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but that means the Lord's going to be with you when you're walking through the hard stuff, when you're walking through the forest, when you're trying to climb that hill that you just cannot get up, the Lord's with you, helping you get through it. Faithful actions come from faithful attention. Now look at these next two two verses. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Does that sound familiar? His parents had the same thing. By faith he was not afraid of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So by faith Moses left Egypt, not afraid of the king, because he was able to endure by seeing him who's invisible. He saw God, he saw what God had for him, and he pursued that. His attention was on the Lord, his attention was on the Lord's plan, and everything else faded to the wayside. And he was able to persist and endure where God had him go. And what we see there is that Moses is mirroring the faith of his parents by following faith rather than fear. His faith allows him to endure, to endure with strength. His faith gave him the strength to endure, to to persevere all that was yet to come. And it's not just persevering Pharaoh constantly telling him no, not just persevering the parting of the Red Sea, but persevering 40 years of faithless people and him leading them, telling them the Lord's going this way, the Lord's this way, and the people wanting to go that way, and Moses persisting and, con- and consistently following the Lord, even when God said, I'm going to destroy all of them and build a nation out of you, and Moses prayed for the people who were belligerent, the people who were mutinous, the people who were faithless, Moses prayed for them and said, no, God. Protect them. And God did. By faith, Moses was able to do all of this. By faith, he persevered. Because he saw what was invisible. He saw the situation. He saw God's presence in the situation, in the moment. Even though he couldn't physically see God, he saw God there. He felt God there. And God directed him through the difficulty. Trusting God's presence and strength enables faithful endurance. Moses trusted that God was present. 
Moses trusted that God was going to give him the strength to make it through. And because he trusted God's presence and strength, he was able to have the faithful endurance he needed to make it through the ten plagues, to make it through being chased by the greatest army in the history of the world up to that point, being, having faith to, to raising his hands and parting the Red Sea and walking through on dry ground and having faith to get through. And three days later, the people denying their faith and Moses continuing to have faith, he had faith because God's presence and strength were there. He had faith that God's presence was there. You know, in college, I had a roommate who was a Marine. I roomed with him my first year in college, and then uh, towards the end of my college, I was there one semester that he wasn't because he uh, graduated early uh, and, and went into the Marines. But the summer in between... My junior and senior year, my roommate, his name was Joe Officer. It's a great name for a Marine, right? Officer. He uh, went to OCS, Officer Candidate School, uh, for 10 weeks, and then he came back and he was given his commission at the end of that fall semester. But uh, Joe was a very physically fit-minded person. Um, he was dedicated to it uh, constantly, every day. And it got, uh, I, I don't want to say irritating, it wasn't irritating, it was motivating, I guess is a better word, uh, because he would get up early, early in the morning, and it had to be early, uh, because my major was biblical studies, and I don't know why, I guess they just thought preachers have to get up early or something, but all my necessary classes were at 8 a.m., and so I had to get up early, uh, and so he would get up early to get me to go exercise, and uh, the first thing we would do is run. And I don't know if you know any Marines, um, our associate pastor, Jared, he's out there in the hall, he's a Marine, uh, but they, they, they are in very good condition. Uh, and uh, we would run uh, out by the college, um, and it, it's a safer area than it was then. Uh, <laughs> back then, we were really close to Oak Cliff in Dallas, and it, there was a, a lake right next to the college, and it's where the drug gangs from Oak Cliff would come and dump the bodies. We would find cars burned out and police tape. I mean, many, many days we'd find, my mom's gonna watch this tomorrow and see that I'm saying this. I didn't tell her then. It happened, it did. Uh, sometimes the cars were still on fire as we're running through the next morning. Uh, but I felt safe because I was with the Marines, so I was good. And uh, so we'd run down uh, uh, Mountain Creek Parkway, go up to the highway, come back the highway, and, and come back to the college. But I got a couple pictures I'm gonna show you. Uh, I went on uh, Google Maps and I found these pictures uh, let's see if they'll work. This is the first one. So this is going uphill. That hill up there at the very top, this is about two-thirds of the way through our run. And it, it was about a five-mile run. This is about two-thirds of the way. There's this hill. And I know it doesn't look like much here, but when you're not used to running, and this is two-thirds of the way through a five-mile run, this feels like death. And it wasn't as nice then as it is now. <laughs> there were definitely not side rails, and it was, didn't have, you know, the median with the curb, and it was a lot rougher than that, but we'd run up this hill, and we'd get up there to the, close to the top of that hill, that last little stretch, and I would just be about collapsing. I mean, I, I would do everything I could just to get one foot, I'd be moving like this, you know, and he, and I'm in, you know, shorts and tennis shoes and, and, and a workout shirt, and he's dressed out, I mean, 
he's got his camo on and his boots. He's carrying a pack, you know, because he wants to stay in shape. And he's way out in front of me. And I'm just, oh, I'm like, Joe, slow down, slow down, come on. And he's screaming at me. And he's about five paces in front of me screaming, hurry, come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's get up this hill. I'm coming up the hill, Joe. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. You have to carry me down. And so we're getting up. And he's, every day he'd be screaming at me. We'd be coming up this little hill. And we get up there to the top, and it was downhill for a good little ways uh, until you got to the last stretch. About the last tenth of a mile is almost straight uphill. Right next to the college, mate, there's, uh, y'all know T.D. Jakes? Y'all ever heard of T.D. Jakes? His, his church is right next to, to where I went to college. And there's this massive hill. And so show this next picture. It's not going to look big because Google, you know, distorts everything. It's huge. I know it doesn't look it, but that's the school up there. Uh, and so we're running, and this is the potter's house over here to the right. We're running, and it looks a lot nicer, way nicer than it did back then. <laughs> They've really made it look nice. Uh, with Again, no guardrails. We're running up this hill. Cars are flying by. And I'm, I'm, I'm really just, I'm almost crawling up this hill. And again, he's screaming at me with his boots on, and he's going, and we're going up this hill. And we finally make it, and we get in, and we get in there to breakfast and um, college breakfasts are amazing. I mean, it's all you can eat. It's all this food. I mean, we'd have waffles and omelets and uh, breakfast burritos. I mean, we just expended all this energy, and you can eat all that when you're that age. And so we're going in there, and I'm still huffing and puffing over breakfast. I mean, it's just I'm putting a waffle in my mouth, and I'm just dying. And uh, I was able to make it through those runs because I knew Joe Officer was with me. His encouragement, his strength got me up the hills. His strength enabled me to accomplish that. His presence made me not fearful as we're running by the burned out cars with police tape and police with dragging the lake. I wasn't scared because he was there. I wasn't scared because he was present. I, wasn't, I, I had the strength to accomplish it because he was there with me. And it's the same idea when walking through this life and we're going through something difficult, we're able to run up the hills because God is with us. We're able to have the strength to endure because he is encouraging us and carrying us through the moment. We're able to get through the hard stuff and the difficult stuff because he is there. It's his presence. It's his strength that enables our perseverance, our endurance. If we're left to our own devices, we can't do it. We can't. But we're not alone. He's with us every step of the way. And now look at this verse, verse 29. It's our last verse. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So now we have the entire nation of Israel having faith in God's ability to protect them. Through the Red Sea, the, the Egyptians didn't have faith, and so they didn't make it through the, the, the Red Sea. But the nation of Israel had faith in this moment. Now, I want you to notice the progression through what we've read from verse 23 to 29. You see, the parents had faith, and then Moses had faith, and then the nation had faith. Faithful actions can influence for generations. Faithful actions 
leave a mark. Faithful actions leave lasting impact. Faithful actions can build spiritual momentum that will outlast all of us. Faithful actions are like compounded spiritual interest. They will have exponential spiritual impact. Because what faithful actions and faithful words do, when we have faithful words and faithful actions, they come together, faithful actions and faithful words, and they align to point people to Jesus. Our faithful actions and our faithful words always align to point people to Jesus. Moses' parents said they were faithful, and they demonstrated it through their actions. Moses would have said, I'm faithful, and he demonstrated it through his actions. The nation of Israel absolutely said, we are faithful, and walking through that Red Sea, they demonstrated it through their actions, and because of their deliverance, Jesus came generations later as a descendant of those very people. But again, their faithfulness doesn't mean they were always faithful. Hear me say a minute ago, three days later, if you look in, in, back in the book, of Exodus, it's just a couple of days later. I mean, it's three days later. It's, it's like the very next page in the book of Exodus. They lacked faith. They said, we're, gonna, we're going back to Egypt. Yeah, God did the plagues and God destroyed the army uh, of the Egyptians. Um, but here we are three days out from that massive miracle of the Red Sea. And it's hard out here. It's hard to do all this stuff on our own without the Egyptian infrastructure. It's, it's hard. So we're going to go back to Egypt. Is that okay, Moses? <laughs> And Moses said, no, it's not. You're going to go where God wants you to go. And we're going to go where God has us to go. And he demonstrated that faith. Because his parents had faith, he had faith, and he, he led the people to faith, and that continued to carry on. And so we have to ask ourselves, does my uh, actions, do my actions reveal a faithful heart or a fear, fearful heart? Do I have faithful attention in what I allow to dominate my thinking? How faithful is the strength of my endurance? Are my words and my actions, do they align in faith and point to Jesus? Now you may say, okay, it's great. Moses' parents were faithful. Moses was faithful. He came from a faithful house. Well, I come from a place that wasn't all that faithful. I come from a place that wasn't very faithful at all. You may say, my, my own past is not very faithful. I can see Moses and God do great things, and yeah, Moses killed the guy, and yeah, Moses ran away for 40 years, but, but my faithlessness is a lot closer than 40 years ago, and, and I don't know how God can do much with me from where I'm coming from. A couple nights ago in our family devotion, we came across a story that I never made the connection before, but the way it was communicated in, in the devotion we were doing, it was like, wow, I never saw that. There was a guy in Genesis chapter 4, a guy named Lamech, and he's a guy, he's the first guy in scripture mentioned who had more than one wife, and he, he sings this little song, it's two verses, bragging about how violent and evil he is. You know, we, we talked a few weeks ago about, you know, Cain killing his brother Abel. Well, this guy brags about being more violent and evil than Cain was. 
And he's bragging about this to his multiple wives and saying, I am this. He's almost insulting God. He's saying, if God punished Abel, God better come and punish me. Like challenging, God's not. I know he's not. He can't do anything to me because I am Lamech. I am great. But you know who came from his household? The most faithful man of the entire world at the time, Noah. Noah was his son. Noah, whom God came and said, you are the only one praising me, praying to me, following me now. This entire world, there's not one person outside of you. You see, when it comes to following the Lord, having faith in the Lord, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter who you came from. It doesn't matter who you used to be, what you used to do. What matters is, will you make a faithful decision today and follow the Lord? Because who you were isn't who you're going to be. Who you're going to be, God's plan for you in the future doesn't depend on who you used to be. It's will you be faithful with what he's giving you today? No matter where you come from, you can still choose faith today. You're not dead yet, if you didn't know. And so because you're not, you can still choose to be faithful with what he's giving you now. Just like Noah, just like Moses, just like Moses' parents, just like the nation of Israel, you can choose faith right now. To be faithful in your job, to be faithful with your family, to be faithful with your kids, with your parents, with that, that, that dream that the Lord has placed in your mind and on your heart. You can still be faithful with that. Choose it now. Like Joshua telling the nation of Israel at the end of his life, choose you today who you will follow. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Will you be faithful with what you've been given, the life that you have? How to live a faithful life, put our attention on the Lord. How to live a faithful life, decide to do it. And you have to decide ahead of time to do it. Because when the moment comes, if you haven't pre-decided, I'll choose not to speak for you, but for me, if I haven't pre-decided, my default's going to kick in. And my default is not always the most godly thing. And so I have to decide ahead of time to be faithful. It's like going to church. You don't decide to go to church on Sunday morning when your alarm goes off. You decide Saturday night. Because if you wait till Sunday morning and it starts raining, you're going to decide, yeah, I'm not going. There's some sprinkles. I'm not going. Forecast says rain. Popped up on my phone. It's going to be hard. Man, rain, that'll get you. I don't want to go out there and <laughs> I don't want to melt. Um, some of you will get that reference. Uh, see, my thoughts are not always godly. <laughs> we have to choose to be faithful in the moment, or before the moment, so that we can make faithful decisions in the moment. Will you follow the Lord now? And so whatever that means for you, whether you need to, to adjust some things, your schedule, your, your, your mindset walking into your schedule, because what if tomorrow is your last day? Just your mindset walking into whatever is yet to come. 
Or maybe today you need to make a decision to follow the Lord and have faith for the very first time and say, all right, I'm going to believe in Jesus. That means you believe in Jesus. He is God's son. And he died so all your sins would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. And if you want to follow Jesus, that's where it starts. So will you have faith today? In just a minute, the music team's going to play. I'm, oh, I'm going to pray. music team's going to come and sing. And that's going to be your, your, your moment to decide. Will I follow Jesus? Will I have faith in Jesus? We call that the invitation because what it is is we're inviting you to come, inviting you to come to Jesus, inviting you to come and put your heart with him, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, I need to come to Jesus. Because wherever we are in our spiritual faith journey, we all need to come to Jesus, always. We don't just need to have a come to Jesus moment when things are getting out of whack. We need to have a come to Jesus moment every moment. So will you come to Jesus today for the first time or for this time?